And as we're making our way to our seats, I can encourage you guys, if you have some seats, you can squeeze in so we can uh, kind of work in. If some people come in late, they can uh, work their way on the outside, and we can kind of squeeze in a bit if there's some chairs around you. All right, welcome, welcome to Gateway. Good morning. It's great to see everybody. I'd like to welcome everyone watching us online as well. Hope everyone's having a great morning. It's great to see you. Just got a few announcements. We want to let you know going on in the life of our body and some reminders. Again, it's our heart's desires, your shepherds, for you guys to connect in a deep way here as a part of Gateway. And obviously that goes beyond this Sunday morning hour or so. But we have some wonderful Bible studies on Sunday mornings over here in the gymnasium. Uh, room classrooms from 9 a.m. to 10:15. Um, also, Kyle Watley was up here last week sharing about his life group, his parenting group. That's about to start their new book uh, by Paul David Tripp, starting this week. If you have any interest in that, you can all go to the website at GatewayBaptist.com. We have a connections tab that lists all of our life groups, our Sunday morning Bible studies, different ways to connect. Um, to get build relationships, sharing community, and we just encourage you guys to do that. Also, a new group has been started in Prattville. Sarah Mendenall here and her husband Trevor have started a new group in Prattville. Um, that information is on the Connect tab as well, um, that you can call them to get the address or, or email them to get that. So the Prattville area, we're so excited for the Mendenhalls opening up their home uh, to be able to uh, share life together, and you, all the information is on the website as well. Also, women, it's not too late to register for the women's retreat coming up this uh, sun, Friday through Sunday. Um, it's going to be in Mentone, Alabama, a time of rest and renewal. Uh, Missy Cruz did a great job last week letting you know some of the things that they'll be experiencing and sharing. Yes, my awesome friend, Missy Cruz. That's right. Thanks for the reminder. It's good to see you. So, Missy's here to talk. Scholarships are available. If there's a little financial situation, that's fine. Please, we don't want you to miss out on this. It's just a great time for you ladies to get together, to enjoy one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord and each other, just to renew yourselves and uh, just to share life together. So we're very excited about that opportunity for all of you. Again, more information on the website as well. And lastly, very excited about the parents again. Our young adult life group has been so wonderful led by Andrew, Melissa Harris, and others. We're so grateful for their sacrifice and time to serve. They're going to have another Parents' Night Out opportunity for all you parents out there, Saturday, October 14th, here on the campus in the gym from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, advanced registration is needed to prepare for lots of things. They do crafts, they do games, they have food. Space is limited. I'm telling you guys, we love this event, but it fills up quick. So their website is available. The registration's already on there. Also, the Young Adult Life Group would like you to know that if others would like to come help and volunteer to serve, to play games and hang out with the kids, please do. You can talk to Andrew. He's in the booth. Some of the other young adults, they would love for you to come serve with them to help out. So Saturday, October 14th, please register online so we can, they can make all the preparations needed uh, for that wonderful, fun event with your kids. All right? Well, let's stand and let's prepare our hearts before the Lord to worship through song. Going to be reading some passages from one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 103, as David cried out to the Lord. Let's prepare our hearts. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit 
who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God, we thank you. Thank you for this declaration that you're a God who forgives. You're a God who heals. You're a God who delivers. You're a God who rescues. You're a God who redeems. You're a God who satisfies. And Holy Spirit, we ask, we know your presence is here, but we ask you to manifest your power and glory this morning, that you would rescue some here this morning. You would redeem some here this morning. You would heal and deliver, set some free this morning that are in bondage to sin and struggles, Lord. Some may need a physical touch of your healing power. We are crying out for your mercy to come and move among us. And more than anything, God, we pray that your spirit of conviction would fall in this place and some this morning may receive your grace gift. Today may be their day of salvation, that you would bring them to a place of repentance, crying out to you to save them. God, we know that's why you came. That's who you are as our Redeemer. We ask you to move in such a way this morning as we worship you, as we honor you, as we glorify you, because you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the saints said, amen. Let's worship him this morning. Come gaze upon your Savior. Come gaze upon your Savior. Behold your great high place. Draw near in awe and wonder. His cross has spoken peace. Rest. Rest from sin and striving, find endless source of grace. The heart that turns to Jesus is cleansed from every stain. Oh, how deep, how wide, how
separate us. What now can separate us? Can death or pain or fear? We have this strong assurance in Christ. We Flows in endless streams. 
come and follow freedom cause you rest in him how sure how sure his compassion for us oh how deep is his love so
Christ will only fast when the tempter would prevail. He will only fast, and I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often
Just where you're standing, would you take a minute in prayer to the Lord and thank him for the fact that he is holding you in his hand. Take a minute and praise the Lord and thank him for that. to cease our strivings, our strivings to get to you, our strivings to earn your approval, and just to rest in you, knowing that you love us unconditionally and you see Christ when you see us. Thank you for the reminders we have just sung that you are the one holding us. It's not our feeble, frail, limited hands trying to cling to you, but you and your infinite greatness holding us secure. We thank you, Lord, for that. And thank you for the promises that no one can snatch us out of your hands, not even the enemy itself, not even the greatest armies of the world, nothing can take us from the hands of our God, our creator, and our redeemer. Lord, I pray those truths will be a comfort to us in the good days and in the bad, that we would remember we are held by you and that you would turn our hearts, not just to praise when we're gathered here together this morning, but all week long as we rejoice and are reminded of the fact that you are the one holding us. So we give you the praise for it and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jeff, come on up here. We want to give you a ministry update from one of our partner ministries here. Fisher's Farm is an amazing ministry here in town, and Jeff and his family and the guys who are part of Fisher's Farm have become dear friends to me and to so many of you as well. And every time I hear Jeff talk about what God is doing at Fisher's Farm, and I see the updates, I want you all to get to hear that as well, because this is a place that the gospel permeates everything they do, and it is so fun to see the gospel transforming and changing lives. So I've asked Jeff to come give you an update of what God is doing at Fisher's Farm. Good morning, church. Um, so for those of you who I don't know, I'm Jeff Hand. I am uh, the director of Fisher's Farm. It's here in Montgomery. Uh, Fisher's Farm is a residential discipleship uh, program for men that struggle with uh, what we call life-dominating sin. So typically, uh, that's men with drugs and alcohol, but we do take men that struggle with other things. And um, yeah, so it's a one-year intensive program. Uh, guys pretty much submit to a year of uh, giving their lives up to deal with just whatever sinful habits that they're struggling with. Uh, it's strict and uh, structured in many ways, and it just uh, really gives guys a safe environment to grow and change and uh, just be uh, saturated in God's word. Um, so why do we do what we do? Uh, because I believe the gospel is uh, the answer, um, the answer that uh, sets us free from sin's bondage. And so these guys, every uh, day they are saturated in just hearing the gospel and uh, meditating on the gospel, and we believe that uh, what Jesus said, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Um, yeah, amen. Uh, and uh, so how do we do it? Uh, we literally, you ask these guys, they are in God's word all the time. Um, from the moment they wake up uh, to the moment they go to bed, we're just constantly uh, putting God's word for them, uh, before them, and believe that it has power to change them. Uh, and it does. Uh, it does in mighty, uh, mighty ways. Um, and so just Grady asked me to share. We, uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, have celebrated just five years of just seeing God move in uh, many, many ways. And there's uh, 
uh, probably uh, a thousand things I could share, but just a few are just, we, we get guys that come into our program that are broken and hopeless, and, you know, some of them uh, really believe that they know God, but just through uh, the word and just through the teachers that we have and through the church, uh, they, they really come to know the Lord in a real way and uh, really come to have saving faith. As many of you have seen, uh, many of these guys just be baptized, like they come to know the Lord in a genuine way. Um, aside from that, we've had uh, just right now about 75 to 80 percent of the men that have graduated our program are faithfully walking with the Lord and plugged into local healthy churches and just uh, growing and changing. And I don't know if any of you guys know anything about the world of addiction, but uh, that that's a crazy number, uh, and it's literally it's not Fisher's Farm. It is it's God's word that is changing these men um, into men of God. Um, we've had two uh, young men leave our uh, program and go on into full time ministry. So uh, both of them work for the lo- one of the local churches, two separate local churches here in Montgomery. Uh, one of them uh, finished Boyce College, which is a part of Southern is in seminary now to be a pastor, and just I look back on some of these young men and am just amazed at what God is doing and really amazed at what God is going to do with their lives. Um, and uh, probably on a more personal note, I've had, since we've started our program, two of my brothers, as some of y'all know, have been through the program, and the Lord has just really worked on them. He saved one of them, and uh, he has just just radically changed from who he was, and um, it, it's just awesome to see, and as some of you also know, my dad is currently in our program and um, has been just using drugs and alcohol since he was 14 years old, and just being able to see the gospel change his heart is, uh, is an amazing thing to see, and I'm just so encouraged by what the Lord is doing at Fisher's Farm and through his word and uh, through his people, I thank all you guys because you you just don't know the impact that your love just meeting uh, those of you that meet with these guys that teach these guys that like it has an impact on their lives and they literally talk about it all through about all through the week of just the impact that your love for them has had uh, just from them being here. So I just wanted to encourage you guys with that. Um, and just be praying for us because it is a, it's a really weighty uh, ministry. We, you know, earlier in the year I talked to a guy who uh, wanted his son to come into the program, and then three days later his son's dead. He overdosed. So uh, we've had, you know, a guy here that we brought to church, and he's no longer here um, from just drug overdose. So it, it's weighty, and you know, just. Uh, we covet your prayers and just pray that uh, the Lord would work and continue to work and uh, move in these men's lives. And yeah, thank you for all you do. Thanks, Jeff. It is so encouraging to see the gospel changing lives. Now, two things that Jeff did not share with you, but I want you to be aware of church. Number one, 
Fisher's Farm is a support-based ministry. So this, they rely on the donations of God's people from here and other churches to do what they do. And so if you're not supporting Fisher's Farm and feel led to do that, if you talk to Jeff, they could use your support. But then second of all, they send out regular prayer updates. And I'm just blown away every time I see them. So if you're not getting those, talk to Jeff just so you know specific ways to be praying for the guys, to know where they're going, what they're doing. It's just a great way to be involved. And Jeff, we're thankful for you and thankful for all the guys. You guys... The honesty they bring in is just creating a culture here of the gospel, and so you guys are shaping us as well, and so we're thankful for you, and for all you Fisher Farm guys, we're thankful for you, and so grateful God has brought you here. So with all that said, Greg Till, one of our elders, is going to come lead us in our intercessory prayer time. If you could just bow your heads with me. Lord, as we start this prayer time, Lord, we pray, we read these words from Psalm 62. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. And Lord, even just in light of just hearing Jeff's words, Lord, would you just really impress on all of our hearts here, Lord, that, Lord, it is you that we wait on. Lord, we don't wait on an outcome when we pray, when we call on your name, or we wait for you. And Lord, teach us to wait. Lord, teach us not to run to cheap substitutes as we cry out to you, but teach us to come to you believing, Lord, and persevering, persevering in our seeking of you, Lord. And we know that you are a faithful God. And Lord, we just, even now, just want to pray for Fisher's Farm. Lord, just to to call upon you to continue the work of the gospel there. Lord, to continue to save these men. Lord, continue to grow them up in you, Lord. And I thank you for these men. Lord, the ones that are here right now, the ones that are sitting here right now. And Lord, just thank you for their lives and just pray more, Lord. More, Lord, would you continue Lord, to grow them up in you. Lord, can continue to build their lives, to set those foundations of the gospel so that they can walk out into life, Lord, and lead a life that is honoring to you and pleasing to you. Lord, I pray for Jeff and Jennifer and their family. Would you give them great wisdom as they continue to lead the ministry? And Lord, perseverance, Lord, encourage their hearts, I pray. And Lord, I pray that as they sink their roots deeply into you, as these weighty things come, Lord, as, as heartaches come, as, as they grieve over things that happen at times, Lord, I pray, Lord, that their encouragement would be found, that they are on your errand, Lord, and that you are doing your work in your way. And so, Lord, we just commit them to you and pray and thank you that you do provide for them financially, Lord, and, and in every other way. And, Lord, we pray that you'd continue to do that. and. Lord, for those that you're calling to give, I pray, God, they would be obedient to that calling. Lord, we do thank you that as a church we're growing. Lord, we thank you that you're adding to our numbers. We thank you for specifically even for military families that you're adding to our number. And Lord, just the unique nature of life of the military, Lord, as they as they come and go and have so many moves and a lot of turbulence in their lives. I pray, God, teach us as a church to embrace our military community. Lord, teach us to invest in them and 
Lord, I, I thank you for those that come, Lord, that they invest in those around them, Lord. I pray that we'd be ascending church, Lord, as they, as they go to their next assignment, Lord, that they would be going as ambassadors for the king, Lord, and they would have grown in their time here. Lord, we thank you for <clears throat> some of the ministries of our church. Thank you for, for folks smart, Lord, and his, his faithfulness, Lord, to the safety net guys in that ministry. Lord, his heart for those young men, Lord, who just have, Lord, just a different uh, troubled uh, lives, Lord. Uh, Lord, thank you for his, his patience and perseverance over the years. I pray you would bless him and encourage his heart. And, Lord, that, that some of those guys in safety nets, Lord, would grow to know you. Lord, we thank you for one of our local churches in town, Fraser Free Methodist Church, and their pastor, Chris Montgomery. Lord, thank you that we are part of the, the one church here in Montgomery, Lord. And we pray for, for Chris and his family. Lord, pray that you would give him perseverance, Lord, to, to continue in this good work, Lord, that the gospel would be changing him and his church, Lord, that they would be growing up in you. Lord, we want to pray <clears throat> across the oceans, Lord, uh, to Indonesia, Lord, for Mark and Rana and Kevin and Gina as they disciple new believers in the northern Maluku Islands, Lord, and just pray, God, that as they plant those churches there, Lord, that you would uh, grow those churches, Lord, that you would give them perseverance and patience, Lord, as they disciple, Lord, and begin a new work there. And Lord, we thank you that you have been faithful to our church here for every resource that we need. Lord, you're such a, a great provider, Lord. We have never lacked here, Lord. You've always, uh, Lord, just created a culture of generous giving here in this church. And we're just so, so grateful. Lord, we thank you for, for Grady and his faithfulness in teaching each week. Lord, thank you for the time I know he puts into study, Lord, and, and in prayer, seeking your face as he comes to share with us. Lord, we're just so, Lord, rich as we walk through Genesis. Lord, so many foundations that you've set for us. I pray, Lord, as... As Grady teaches, Lord, that his Holy, your Holy Spirit, Lord, will be working in him and through him, Lord, but also on us, on our ears and our hearts, Lord, that we would not only hear, but we would receive and believe your word, and we'd be changed as a result. Lord, what a rich provision to gather as your body here at Gateway in this family. Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, and just say to God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Since worship, you were dismissed now, so first to fourth graders, you can head out to kids' worship this morning. You got Mr. Rick this morning with you. Now, while the kids are on the move, I want to ask you to find Genesis chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word. Yes, we have made it seven weeks into our study of Genesis now to the second chapter of the book, and so we're in Genesis chapter 2. This morning, as you find Jesus too, I want to ask you a question this morning to set the stage for what we're looking at in God's Word today. And the question for you is, how well do you rest? How well do you rest? Now, I'm not talking about sleep at night, though that's part of it. But how well do you do taking time aside every week to rest? In other words, let me ask you a different way. Do you have a regular rhythm of rest in your life 
each week? Do you have a regular rhythm of rest in your weekly schedule? As we've been looking at the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, you've seen God making clear patterns for life, clear rhythms that control our life. For example, we saw God create the day and the night. He put the earth on a rotation so that we have day and night, these 24-hour periods of time that govern our lives and give us the rhythm of day and night, day and night, each day. You see God creating the earth on an orbit that's circling the sun, giving us the rhythm of a calendar year and the 365 days we know of each year. We see God even creating the earth on a tilt so that we have the seasons as we have spring and summer and fall and winter. Or in Alabama, for some reason, we just get summer, 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 winter, and then it's back to summer, right? But we get the seasons and God's plan. But there's one more rhythm of life that God is going to establish. And that's what we see here as we come to the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. And that's the rhythm of the seven-day week. The rhythm of the seven-day week. And unlike the other rhythms, all the other rhythms we've seen are dictated by the orbit and the rotation. There's nothing physically happening that dictate a seven-day week except for the wisdom of God and giving us a pattern. Work six days, rest one. Now, as you think about God giving us these rhythms of life, I came across something this week that made me pause and think. This author wrote and said, God could have made a rhythmless world if he wanted to, a world without days and weeks and months and years, but In his wisdom, rhythms make the world a good habitation for finite humans in need of rest and refreshment. As creatures of dust, we are creatures of rhythm. I don't think I'd ever stop to think about that till this week. That God could, in his infinite wisdom, have made a world without hours, without days, without the seven-day week, without the 365 days in a year. But in his infinite wisdom for what we, his image bearers, need, he made the, all these rhythms of day, of time, of even the seven-day week. The reminder for us is that you and I are very limited. As he said here, we're creatures of dust. We are finite creatures, and so we need rhythms. We need patterns in our life to be what God has called us to be. So back to my opening question, do we have a regular rhythm of rest Every week. Today we come to day seven in the creation account and God's revelation of how He made everything from nothing. And day seven in God's creation account has everything to do with rest. So as we read Genesis 2 1 to 3 this morning, I want you to look for two things. First of all, what did God Himself do? And then, second of all, what does He call us to do as well? So, what did God do? Then, what does He call us to do as well? But let's keep this personal as you read this and ask yourself, as I ask myself all week long, this question. How well do I rest? Am I doing what God has called us to do? So let's look for that as we look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Genesis 2, 1 to 3. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So... God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your word. Lord, as we've already been praying this morning, Lord, we see your grace in so many ways. And what a blessing it is for us as your people to gather and be able to sing and to pray and how to open your word and dig into the wonders of it together. So Lord, I pray for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters that, Lord, we would hunger for your word this morning. Lord, you give us encouragement where we need encouragement. You give us conviction where we need conviction to do what you've called us to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Now, to help us unpack this text, I want to ask kind of two big questions this morning to help us understand. The first one is, what has God told us that he did? Let's start there with what God has said he has done. And then secondly, from that, what does God expect us to do as well? So what did God do, and then what are we to do? So let's start with that first one. What did God tell us that he did? Now, before he jumps into anything here about day seven, he reminds us of what we've already seen all throughout Genesis 1. He gives a summary and a recap of creation. Go back to chapter 2, verse 1. Thus... The heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. So here we have the summary of Genesis chapter 1. God is reminding us that in the six days of creation, he made everything from nothing. He made the space, as we know, of the heavens, which is the sky, the earth, which is the land and the water. So he formed those spaces in days 1, 2, and 3 of creation. And then days 4, 5, and 6, he fills those spaces. Here he just summarizes that he has all the host of them. But the host would be the stars and the moon and the sun and the sky. They'd be the plants and the animals. And yes, us, his image bearers, the people. And so as he begins chapter 2 with this recap, with this reminder, he's reminding us that everything has already been created. It's complete. It's perfect. Notice the language here of it. The heavens and the earth were finished. It was all done. It was complete. It was what God wanted it to be. Now this is significant, friends, because realize God could have stopped right there. It's finished. He didn't have to do anything else. He had created the world with image bearers in place just like he wanted it to be. There did not have to be a day seven of God's creation account. Creation would have been complete if he had ended it on day six. But God adds a seventh day to the week. And this is massively significant, friends, because God is outside of time. He's eternal. He's not bound by time. As we talked about in the creation account, time was something God Created, Hence, there was a time when there was no time. Time is part of the created order. God did not need a seven-day week. God did not need a seventh day for himself. But he chose to add a seventh day even after everything was complete, perfect, finished, and was already very good. He still added a seventh day to this pattern of the week that he was establishing. But not only does God establish a seventh day here, he draws significant attention to this day unlike all the others. If you think back to chapter 1, every day of creation, we're told one time what day it was. There was evening and morning the first day. There was evening and morning the second day. Every day of creation is summarized by just telling us one time what day it was, but not here. He tells us more than once, this is the seventh day. And so if you were a child and you remember your parents, if something was really, really important, did they tell it to you one time? They told you what, over and over and over, because they did not want you to miss what you needed to know. And that's what God does here. In fact, I want you to see this poetic structure of this. And so we have a special slide for you <coughs> so you can see what, how God stresses what day it is. This is a poem in the Hebrew. Our English misses this and we lose this in it. But this is how it would have read in the original Hebrew language. And notice the middle of every verse of the poem. Seventh day. It is designed to call our attention to something. Remember, every other day of creation, even day six when people are made, we're told one day, one time, what day it is. But not the seventh day. God finished on the seventh day his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Okay, do you, do you have images, flashbacks back to your childhood of going, why do my parents tell me the same thing over and over and over? Because it's important. Why is God telling us this? It's not because we're dense. And he's like, uh, if I don't say the seventh day a second time, they'll forget it. He's repeating it. He's stressing it because this day is massively Significant. He wants us to see it is significant. So God, who did not have to add a seventh day, adds a seventh day to an already completed creation and then repeats it over and over and over. And after this, two more times, he calls it it. He tells us five times in this text that this is a seventh day. 
Now he's drawing our attention to it to then draw attention to what he did on the seventh day. And what did he do on the seventh day? You see it right there in the middle, the second line of the poem, and he rested on the seventh day. And again, that is so important. He repeats it. So let's go back to our text to verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So there's so much repetition here because it is so important in God's rhythms that he has established. So we're told here that on the seventh day God rested and he tells us that twice. Now, first of all, what does that not mean? This does not mean that God was tired. This does not mean that God closed his eyes and took a nap. This is not God feeling what I feel after I've cut the grass, put out the pine straw, and trimmed the bushes all in one day within 100 degrees outside. Okay, That's not what we're talking about here when we talk about God resting. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God needs nothing. That means God never grows weary. God never gets tired from creating. I love how it says it in the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing it's too hard for you. So we didn't come to the six days of creation and God's up in heaven wiping his forehead being like, wow, that was exhausting. I'm not sure how I got through that. That's not God. God is all powerful. And so he's not tired from his creation, nor is he thinking, I need a nap from all I've done. God never sleeps or slumbers. Psalm 121 tells us this. This is a beautiful psalm. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. And then verse four, it summarizes even more. Behold, Take time, notice this, don't skip over this. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor neither sleep. So at the end of six days, God's not tired. God's not ready to take a nap. He's not exhausted from all this. As one of the authors I read this week said it so well, omnipotence needs no rest because regardless of the amount of power that goes forth from him, his power is not depleted. Think about that. If he's omnipotent, all-powerful, no matter how much power goes out, there's no shortage of his power. His omnipotent power is infinite. God does not ever need a breather. So God is not resting from fatigue. So what does it mean that God rested? We'll go back to verse 2 of our text this morning. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. Now, this word literally means in the Hebrew simply to cease. So more literally, God ceased here at this point. What he ceased from doing, he ceased from Creating Now, why did he cease from creating? Because what we saw in verse 1, it was finished. Again, notice the emphasis on the finality of this. Back verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts with him. Then verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, past tense, completed. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had, past tense, already completed, finished, done here. He's repeating this for us. God had made a perfect world to glorify himself. He made a perfect world to sustain the life of his image bearers. He had set out everything that he had planned to do. So now he ceased from that work of creating. Now, clarification here. This doesn't mean that God quit working and never worked again. That's a heresy that God created everything and stepped back. That's not what the scripture tells us. God is always working. John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus is very clear. Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am Working, And we see it also in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, this is ongoing presence, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So God is always working. There's always the ongoing work of his sovereign rule, the ongoing work of his providence over all of his creation. But when we come back here to what we were looking at here in verse 2, when God ceases on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he ceased on the seventh day from all the work he had done, it's talking about the initial act of creation. 
God ceased from the initial act of creation. This providence and sovereign rule would always go on, but he ceases from the creation because it's now perfect. It's made just the way he wants it to be. But though he ceased from working here, he chooses to add a seventh day from the week here to cease, to rest. And this word to rest here is the Hebrew word Shabbat. That sounds familiar. This is where we transliterate that word and get the English word Sabbath from. So more literally here, verse 2, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he ceased, he Sabbathed on the seventh day. So God who needs nothing, God who neither slumbers nor sleeps, God who doesn't need rest, chose to add a seventh day that he didn't have to add for him to Sabbath on that day, to cease from this work of creation to rest. Now, friends, God did not have to do this. God did not have to tell us about this. And God did not have to repeat it over and over and over and over in this poetic structure here. But he did. Because he's wanting to draw our attention to something that we're so prone to just gloss over and move past. He's calling us to remember this Sabbath principle that he instilled from creation. God wants ingrained in all of our thinking as his people that he made everything from nothing in six days. But he added a seventh day where he rested. He established a rhythm. Not just the rhythm of 24 hours. Not just the rhythm of 365 days a year. But the rhythm of a seven day Work week. It's that foundational. He wants us to have ingrained in our minds his pattern of a seven day week, six days of work, one day of rest. Now, he have, wants us to know that because he wants us to do something with that truth. So that's what God did. God's Sabbath. He ceased from working that work of creation on the seventh day. So, what does he want us to do as well? He wants us to follow his example. God wants us to build into the rhythm of our lives one day of rest every week. Now, you may be thinking, Grady, I didn't see any commands in this text. And you're right, there are no imperatives, no commands in this text. But there's two things here that show us that this is a calling from God, an expectation that God gives to us as well. How do we know God is calling us to follow his pattern here? Number one, we see that in what precedes it. Go back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. CJ preached on this several weeks ago. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over everything that creeps on the earth. Excuse me, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So to understand this pattern God has established, think back to the fact that we're made in the image of God. Now, CJ brought up so much of what that means to be made in the image of God. And one part of that is we copy God and the things he tells us to copy God in. There's things that we are called to do as his image bears that are unique in creation. So, for example, he's, he gives life. But he tells his image bearers, you go create life and have the next generation. You go invest in the next generation. God creates the world. Then he calls his image bearers, now go take care of that world I made, joining me and exercising dominion over my world. And now God creates a day of rest and calls his image bearers to imitate him in taking a day of rest. So to understand this pattern God establishes, we remember we're made in the image of God. God worked six days. He rested one. He's saying, my image bearers, you do the same thing. But there's also a more direct call in these verses as well. Look down at verse 3 here. So God blessed the seventh day, and notice this, and he made it holy. Now just pause right there. To make something holy is to set apart something, for it to be distinct, to be different. This idea of a Sabbath rest, friends, is the very first thing anywhere in Scripture that God calls holy. Now don't miss that. With all the good things he has made, everything is very good. The first time anything on earth gets a designation of this is holy, it's sanctified, it's consecrated, it is set apart, is the seventh day of rest that God did not even have to 
include. That means it was designed to be continually set apart. This is not a one-time designation. This is something that God is establishing in a seven-day pattern of a weekly day of rest that's to be carried on for the rest of time. If you notice something in all the other days of creation, every day was, had an ending to it. There was evening and morning the first day. There was evening and morning the second day. And you go through all six days of that, but when you come to the seventh day, the Sabbath day of rest, there's no, there was evening and morning on the seventh day. Why? Because this pattern is not over yet. This is ongoing. God is wanting us to continue to practice his pattern of six days of work and a day of rest here. In fact, this rhythm of life was so important. Not only did he call it holy here, he sets it in stone, literally, in the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. He tells the people, remember the Sabbath day, the ceasing day, to keep it holy. Why? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a ceasing, a rest day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. He's saying it doesn't matter if you know me or not. This is my pattern, my rhythm for all my people. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord, should sound familiar, he blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. And it was so important that it was repeated again to God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. So God's telling us to follow his pattern in this. Now that raises several questions for us. Number one, why would God call us to this rhythm of life? Why would God call us to a seven-day week of six days of work and one day of rest? Now, because again, there's nothing biologically or physically happening in the world and the universe that necessitates seven days. And interestingly, if you look back at the history of the Soviet Union back in the 1920s, they tried to do away with a seven-day week. In fact, they went to a five-day week with rotating patterns of rest in there, and that was driving the people crazy. It was going insane when they tried to shorten it from seven to five, so they changed it to six days and rotating days of rest, trying to get more productivity out of the people, and that completely backfired. And so eventually, after about a 20-year experiment, the Soviet Union went back to the seven-day week. Why? Because it's the rhythm that God established. So why would God call us to this rhythm? And the simple answer is because he made us and he knows what's best. Because he loves us, friends. Because he wants to bless us. The idea of being told by our creator to take a day each week, to cease from our strivings and to rest in him, is not to be a burden, is to be a blessing to us. Again, look back at verse 3 and notice the language. So God blessed the seventh day. God blessed it. Friends, this is only the third blessing in the Bible so far. Remember the first blessing was to animals. God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. The second blessing was to humans, to be fruitful and multiply and to take dominion. So think about it. The first two blessings in the Bible had everything to do with just being given to living things. And those first two blessings were given so that the living things could accomplish God's purpose. Those blessings were given so that living things could find things that were life-giving. So we come to the third blessing in the Bible here, the blessing of a day. He's not blessing the day itself. He's blessing his people through this day. He's blessing them for the same reason, so that they can accomplish his purpose. He's blessing them so they can experience life-giving rest. All three of the blessings that first appear in the Bible, be fruitful, have dominion here, and now to the blessing on the day is all so that we can accomplish God's purposes, so we can experience life-giving, abundant life here. This, is the day, this day is to be a day of blessing to us, not something we seek to avoid. God made it for our good, which is what Jesus told us in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And he said, then the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God didn't create this day because he needed something from us. 
He created this day because he knows what we need. We need a regular pattern every seven days of slowing down and resting and focusing on him. Now think back to what we've seen all throughout chapter 1. Everything God made was to make a world perfectly suited for his image bearers to live. In his infinite wisdom, one part of a perfect world for his image bearers is to have one out of seven days to rest. One of the authors I read this week said it so well. It's another one that just made me stop and pause and ponder. This author said the Sabbath purpose was to grace God's people. Now, that's not only what we think about Sabbath, rest, and grace. But here's what he said. The Sabbath purpose was to grace God's people, to grace their bodies with the rest of the Genesis rhythm, to grace their souls with heaven's rhythm, providing respite from their labor so they could focus on God and gratefully celebrate him as their creator and their redeemer. God gave a day each week to grace us, to grace our bodies, to grace our minds, to grace our souls. It's a grace gift from God so we have physical rest and a grace gift from God so we have spiritual refreshment. It's something God made from his infinite wisdom. So why does God call us to this rhythm? Because he wants to bless us, because it's for our good. Second question, how do we practice it? This is not rocket science, friends. We simply practice it by setting aside time each week to rest and focus on God. We prioritize, we set aside time to rest and focus on God. Now this word Sabbath means to cease from normal labors. It's giving our bodies, our minds rest. But the Sabbath also carries with this idea of intentionally focusing on God and worship and prayer and Bible study. One author calls them the twin engines of the Sabbath. So if you're in an airplane flying wherever you're going to and you look out the window, one of the engines explodes and stops working You're not going to be really happy on that plane anymore. You need both engines to stay afloat. And to practice the Sabbath, the scholars say it's twin engines. It's rest and it's worship. And some of us focus on one aspect of that and some focus on the other. But if it's twin engines, if one of those goes down, we can't do what we're supposed to do with it. So it's a day we set aside to rest and to focus on God. One author said it's a day the Lord has given us to attend to our soul. Now, the problem we see in the, the scripture records for us is the Pharisees start heaping very specific laws. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. And people still do that. Oh, you can't cut your grass or you can't do this. And there's all these laws and traditions of man that get imposed on what you can and can't do. So no, I'm not going to tell you what you can and cannot do on a day of rest and worship because that misses the point. That's not what these questions are about. The point of all this is for us to trust God enough to lay aside our normal labors and burdens, to give our bodies and our minds rest, and to give our souls refreshment as we focus on him. One of the authors I read this week said, if nightly sleep places a period at the end of each day's sentence, weekly rest adds a paragraph break. So that's a good way for those of you who are writers who enjoy writing or reading. You're nightly going to sleep every night, and you don't skip that. It's because you need a period at the end of every sentence. And at the end of a paragraph, you need a paragraph break. And these days of Sabbath rest are these paragraph breaks. This person says, we pause after the pattern of the world's first week. Remember, we're made for rhythms. We were made for both work and rest. And yet, friends, the reality for so many of us is we have a rhythmless life, don't we? We have a rhythmless life. One author said we have a life with no squares on our calendar labeled rest. And that one destroyed me this week. We have no squares on our calendar that say Rest. We fill our lives with everything else we want to do, and we take no thought to doing what God has told us to do that we need in these rhythms, this rhythm of rest. So how do we practice it, friends? We do it by setting aside time to rest and focus on God. And the question I've had to ask myself this week, we need to ask as well, do you have that square on your calendar where you give time to rest and focus on God? That raises one last question for us this morning. If God made it for our good, then why do so many resist this rhythm? 
If this is for our good, this is a blessing, this is holy, this is God doing what he didn't have to do because he loves us and wants to bless us. Why do we fight against this? Maybe you don't, but I do and so many of us do. Several thoughts come to mind, at least in my own heart, of why I've struggled to rest so much. Number one, we really do not trust God to provide. We really do not trust God to provide. We would all articulate with our words what I call our confessional theology. Oh, yes, God is the provider of everything I need. But if you look at our calendars and our lives and our busyness and our inability to rest, our functional theology says, I really am not trusting God enough to provide. I feel like I have to labor and keep laboring and keep laboring to provide because I'm not trusting God to do in six days what he said he will do. I think we really struggle to believe promises like Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 6 and starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's that pointed question when we get so worried about stuff. Are you not of more value then they. And then a few verses later in verse 31, Jesus continues here. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? I think he goes on. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father, he's all-knowing. He's, om- he's omniscient. He knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Friends, we struggle to set aside a day to rest our bodies and our minds. A day We struggle to set aside a day to seek first after God's kingdom because we're really struggling to believe that God's going to provide for us everything that we need. So one reason I think why many resist this rhythm is we struggle to trust God to provide. But secondly, I know this is true in my own heart and perhaps for some of you as well, we struggle to rest because we find our identity in what we do instead of in God. We find our identity in what we do instead of God. God has told us who we are. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This is just one of many we could look to. But you, you collectively, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession. Okay, friends, it doesn't get any better than that, right? You're chosen. You're royal. You're holy. Bottom line, you belong to God. God has spoken and said, this is who you are. You're my image bearers. You're chosen, royal, holy nation people. You belong. He said, that is great. And we go, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's amazing. And then we go kill ourselves with our jobs, our hobbies, our entertainment, our relationships, trying to figure out, oh, I just need to find who I am. And we're trying to find our identity in everything besides what God has said that we do. We don't really embrace I belong to God. We feel like we need to keep doing more and more and more to please people, to please ourselves, so that we find our identity apart from that. That's just two friends. There may be others. Some struggle to, some people struggle doing more than God's called them to do. Some people struggling embracing the fact that we're finite, limited beings. Some struggle to just focus on God in the midst of their own pleasures. It's going to be different for different people. But the question we all need to ask is, if I am not building into my life a pattern of rest and worship, Why? Why is there something that God calls holy and good and a blessing, something that I so struggle to do? And it may be different for each person, but we all need to ask that question. If you struggle to rest, why, God? Why do I struggle to rest? But ultimately for all of us, go back to verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. God is calling all of us to trust him enough to believe who he said that we are, to trust him and to understand that we are loved unconditionally, that we are secure, that we belong, that we are his beloved children, to trust him enough to know that he will provide everything we need and that we don't have to keep going nonstop to have our needs met. We need to trust him. So let's try to bring all of that together. Here's the idea, and I hope you've already seen that from the text somewhere, but here's the main thought of this text, the main idea is simply this, friend. God calls us to remember his Sabbath principle in creation and to trust him enough 
to practice it ourselves. He calls us to remember his Sabbath principle in creation and to trust him enough to practice it ourselves. God did not have to create a day seven on it. God did not have to rest and cease, but he did to teach us something about the rhythms of life. And he calls us now to reflect, to remember this pattern, but to do more than just reflect on it, to do what James 1 says, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So God is calling us to be doers of his word by trusting him enough to cease from our strivings one day a week, to follow his pattern of rest for the good of our bodies and of our souls. So the question for us this week, friends, are you and I willing to trust God this week to take time to physically rest and spiritually focus on God? Are we willing to some way this week carve out time to give our bodies and minds physical rest and to spiritually refocus on God? Now, like that, I want to share with you a challenge from Kevin DeYoung. It's something I shared when we preached through the Ten Commandments several years ago, but I want us to consider it again because it is so, I think, relevant to where we, a lot of us are here. Here's what Kevin DeYoung says. He says, some of us are running around crazy, thinking, oh, God, why don't you give me some kind of break? And God says, I made this day for you, not to punish you or to keep you in bondage, but to give you the freedom you so desperately need. Some of you are desperately seeking the rest that you have not found in Christ. Or you found that rest, but you frequently forget it and never stop working, cleaning, planning, plotting, fretting, fussing, worrying, trying to prove yourself to your parents, to your spouse, to your kids, even to your church. You've never really appropriated what it means to have grace. There's always something else you need to do to show the world that you're worth something, that you're valuable, that you're loved, that you're okay. You do not have to earn anything. You do not have to prove anything The world does not depend on you. Your salvation does not depend on you. And in ultimate sense, your family does not even depend on you. Can you hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, come to me and I will give you rest. Take Jesus at his word, believe him, trust him, run to him. And then every resurrection day, give expression to what you believe by giving him praise and giving yourself a break. Friends, God calls us to remember his Sabbath principle in creation and to trust him enough to practice it ourselves, Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for being a God who is so good to his people. Lord, to think all the patterns and the rhythms you set in place that you gave us day and night so that we would sleep. You give us a year to mark our lives by you. give us seasons and changes. Lord, you've made all these rhythms. And Lord, in your goodness, you made the rhythm of a seven-day week. The people have tried other schedules over the years. It always fails because you know best. Thank you for giving us a seven-day week, but not just seven days to work nonstop but six days to work in a day to rest. And Lord, I confess, I struggle to rest. And Lord, I figure that many that I know here struggle with the same thing. So would you grow us as a people, ultimately in trusting you, trusting that who you've said about, what you said about us is true, that we belong to you. There's no amount of work we can do to earn more of your favor. Lord, I pray that we would understand we are beloved children of God. But Lord, I pray as well, we would trust you enough to let go of things. Lord, the world does not depend on us. Even our families don't depend on us. So would you help us find time to rest mentally, physically, and to rest spiritually, to refocus on you. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would show us this week something that you desire for us and our families to do that would enable us to grow in resting and worship of you. Help us for our own good, Lord. Find joy in this blessing and not see this as something to avoid or something archaic, but something that is good that you've designed to be the pattern of our life. So would you grow us as a church collectively, us individually, grow the families of this church and together finding time to rest and to focus on you so that we can do all that you've called us to do in those other six days. So we thank you for your goodness to us. We need your grace in this and we need your help in this as we do in everything else. We ask you to give it in Jesus' name, amen.
Would you stand? We're going to close this morning about singing of the need we have for Christ in all that we do.
our only hope of growing, our only hope of knowing you is that you work it in us. So we ask this week as a very needy people, give us your grace, your transforming grace this week, so we would delight in you, we look at this world with eternal eyes, and then we would see you at work as we respond to your word and the work of your Holy Spirit to be changing us to be more like Christ. Lord, have your way, we ask, for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Now, before we go, just one last reminder. Missy Cruz wanted you to know, ladies who are going to the ladies' retreat, if you'll meet her in the, out in the courtyard at the tables outside, it's a beautiful day, and so meet her out there to talk through the plan trip. And ladies, if you're interested in going, you haven't signed up and just want to talk more about it, meet Missy out at the tables at the Breezeway before you leave campus today. God bless you all. Have a great Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm.